Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witz University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, today we're going to talk about an announcement that came out at the end of January, on January 24th, between the African Union and China. And there was this somewhat mysterious deal that they announced that they're going to do this huge construction uh, infrastructure, uh, all these transport links that they're going to do. But what was unusual about it was they didn't do the normal fanfare that they do, that the Chinese do when they normally uh, unveil big deals, where they talk about the dollar size of it, they talk about who's actually involved. This was just this nefarious, ambiguous deal. And so we're very thrilled to have on the line James Schneider, who's the editorial director at New African Magazine, based out of London. And he joins us. And the reason why we're so happy to have you on the show, James, is because, well, you were actually there. I was, yeah. And so I'm really hoping you're going to be able to to kind of explain what's going on. Let me first just set this up, uh, and then we'll get your take. So we saw, you know, the usual handshakes, lots of flags out of Addis Ababa, where the African Union is headquartered. Uh, The African Union's chief, she said this is, quote, the most substantive project the AU has ever signed with a partner. And then the Chinese were just as effusive. Zhang Ming, who's the Chinese vice foreign minister, he came out and said, this is the document of the century. The aviation agreement marks a new era for cooperation between the AU and China. So what we know, James, is that this is about infrastructure, about road, rail, and air transport links. And as someone who's traveled in Africa as much as you have, you know that it can be easier to fly to Kinshasa via Paris from Cairo than it is directly from Cairo. So obviously, transportation infrastructure is something the continent desperately needs. But what is going on with this agreement that was so vague? And why is the African Union at the center of it? Well, in short, uh, it's very, very light on details. And I can't tell you um, what the details of what they're going to spend the money on and how they're going to do it because uh, nobody knows that yet. What they, what um, Tlemini Zuma said at the press conference when pushed on this is that they're going to set up committees which are then going to look into the four different sectors. So that was rail, road, aviation and industrialization. And they mentioned the big figures that get trotted out about how much um, infrastructure spending the continent is going to need on an annualized basis and said, you know, how, what a big and wonderful deal this was and how the AU was going to fit this big Chinese engagement into its agenda 2063, which is its development framework uh, for the next 50 years. But in terms of, uh, you know, which um, shovel-ready projects are going to be financed when, there was, there was no detail. James, do we know whether all of these projects are new projects or whether some existing already agreed projects would actually be included in in this budget? I imagine that ones that have already been announced will do because that's the that's the pattern. I mean, we've seen that uh, we've seen that happen before. But there is not. I mean, as, as um, Eric alluded to in the introduction, surprisingly, with this deal, there is not a big overall figure. There isn't a big figure that they say they're going to they're going to spend. So I think this more fits into um, the new uh, sort of framework that uh, NEPAD for the AU have tried to develop for financing infrastructure, which is trying to bring in um, more uh, African private sector, more global private sector, different ways of raising bond, um, money from, uh, from capital markets and also from, uh, from its relationship with China. I think they're trying to develop um, a more kind of uh, nuanced uh, 
set of investors into each particular, not nuanced, a more uh, more complex set of investor, uh, investors into each particular project, and look at it more on a project by project basis rather than announce some you know a huge hundreds of billions of dollars as it, as it would be um, uh, agreement with only one entity. Why do you think the African Union was chosen as a venue to do this? And and I'd like to kind of just give you my quick theory and get your take on it, which is that. China is trying to diversify its engagement strategy in Africa. So now it's doing a lot of bilateral agreements, and that's been the foundation of what it's done for the past 10 years. There's some regional agreements. We're seeing the East African Railway going through Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. Obviously, there's the Tazara as well, and that was a regional infrastructure project. But this is really one of the first pan-African, continental-wide type of agreements. I've never really seen anything like this before. And so I was trying to think, is it because you think the Chinese are trying to bolster the AU and give it some legitimacy that it may not have? I, I mean, I think they want to engage with the AU, but I mean, I, I think this start, really started from, at least my understanding, from uh, Li Keqing's uh, visit to, uh, to the continent, where when this Agenda 23 was under discussion and it became clear that the AU and, and NEPAD are at least going to try to take a much more central uh, role in uh, in re- at least regional economic planning across the continent, and this really fits into the the <clears throat> the, um, uh, the presidential initiative. Sorry, presidential infrastructure development. Something there's an a, an acronym called PIDA, which has uh, found 16 um, mega transport projects which go uh, across national borders, and it, I think it fits into that framework. I'm not sure it's quite China is trying to hedge its bet by pumping up the AU rather than the AU is trying to do something big and they want to facilitate that. They want to make sure they're the key partner. Um, do you do we have any uh, um, kind of uh, you know kind of information so far about who's going to be on these planning committees working you know kind of planning the expansions in these four different sectors? Are they are these going to be committees within the AU or are they also going to bring bring outside players on board? My understanding is that they're going to be committees within the AU which will likely take advice from those outside the AU. I, I, I think um, uh, NEPAD is likely to have, uh, have a key role. And one of the committees, but I don't know exactly who's on it, but one of them is, is up and running within the AU. I think that's the rail one. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to be within the AU. They're going to have um, uh, Chinese input and then they'll work out what the projects can be. Does, is this important? I mean, you were there. Did you get a sense of the importance? I mean, to hear, you know, the, the Chinese vice foreign minister talking about this to be the agreement of a century of the century and to hear the AU chief talking about it, the most substantial agreement. You know, what it sounds like from what you're saying is that this was an agreement to set up some committees. And that, that doesn't really sound very exciting. But on the same time, I'm trying to balance the rhetoric from what we're hearing out of there. Yeah, it felt like um, quite a letdown, frankly, from you know, the, the initial announcements and what we were told. And then when we're in the press conference, we're asking more questions and the sort of little that we, that we got out of it. I'm not quite sure why they announced it at this summit rather than waiting until the summer when there might have been um, some, some more meat. I think it might have something to do with the way in which the two summits um, the two AU summits this year are, are being set up this year. The, the first one is meant to launch Agenda 23 and the role specifically of women in, in development of the Agenda 23, whilst the summers, uh, the, the one later in the year, in the, in the Northern Hemisphere summer, um, 
uh, is meant to sort of talk about what precisely has been achieved. So perhaps they're setting this up so that they can come out with some achievements um, later on in the year. But it does, I mean, it did strike me as rather peculiar and, and struck everybody I spoke to as rather peculiar. You know, Kobus, let me ask you a quick question on this and get your take on it. You know, from your vantage point in South Africa, you know, there's always been this dream, particularly in the post-colonial era, that there was going to be this kind of pan-African type of unity. And certainly in South Africa, the pan-Africanist movement was very, very strong. The AU has never, ever been able to live up to that expectation and that hope. Um, and, and now we're starting to see a more you know, robust AU, certainly in peacekeeping missions, and there's a hope that the United States kind of imposes on the AU to be a stronger regional force in peacekeeping, but also in trade and economic relations. What do you, when you saw this, you know, James said it was a little bit of a letdown, and in, in the context of this goal of creating a pan-African type of multilateral body, were you as equally underwhelmed, or did you kind of see some hope, you know, kind of consistent with the pan-African dream that's been alive in, in South Africa more than anywhere else? What I was wondering is whether the African Union has the logistical and you know kind of organisational capacity to actually handle a project this size, um, and how how the decision making is going to happen. I mean, one of the problems that the AU has faced is all of these linguistic and cultural blocks that make up Africa, um, and kind of you know different different power blocks within the within Africa pulling in different directions. Um, so I you know kind of the, the nitty gritty of actually deciding who gets what money and how you're actually going to be dealing with all of these member states, that I'm a little unsure about, and I'm, I'm wondering how it's actually going to work. Yeah, I think that is part of the problem, and I think this is really borne out in um, uh, a lot of the sort of economic thinking and um, work that is going on at, at the AU, which is, I mean, in, in terms of analysis of the problems and the direction the continent should go in and how, very, very strong. At the implementation level, it's far weaker, I think, probably for, for two reasons, which are going to be quite difficult to overcome. One is obviously the, the financing of the AU itself is um, you know, majority comes from outside of the continent and it's quite limited. So that you know, damages the capacity to really do a lot. Although I, I think in some, some, some ways they do a lot with not very much. And then the other thing is that I mean, regardless of how good the analysis and the policy prescriptions from um, the from NEPAD, for example, are, the AU can only really be one step ahead of its constituent member countries. It can only drag them along so much. It can say, you know, you should work together to come up with common mining regulations. But unless the, the, the countries do so, there's not so much that it can do. Well, you know, while the announcement itself may have been a little bit of a letdown and, and somewhat, well, boring, as, you, as we kind of have been discussing, the way the Chinese have been positioning this has been absolutely hysterical. So I don't know if you've been following this, but Xinhua, the, the, the official Chinese state news agency, which is really the main kind of voice of the Communist Party in China, they set the tone in many respects for the rest of the country's coverage. Uh, they've had a field day with this, calling, uh, they had a, a commentary that said, quote, the West baloney about China-Africa cooperation. Operation. That's the headline. And using almost, you know, North Korean style, you know, invective, they, they said that the West is jealous of, uh, of China, Africa. Uh, they said uh, floating terms like, quote, concrete diplomacy, neocolonialism. They opted, that's the West, to be jealous uh, and loathing the BNB for being sidelined and conspired to drive a wedge between two partners who do not fear to work up a sweat 
for a better future. So I just, I love the propaganda spin that's coming out of China. Uh, and so it looks like the Chinese are really taking advantage of this type of announcement as a way to kind of demonstrate their, their kind of deeper level of engagement. Now, in the same week that this deal was announced, James, um, it was also announced that none other than Robert Mugabe was going to be anno- uh, appointed to be the uh, kind of ceremonial chairman of the African Union. And, and again, it just all comes in a week when, when one really raises more questions about the African Union than are solved. And so I'm just kind of curious to kind of follow up on the tilt towards Mugabe, this big deal and the effusive praise coming out of the AU. You know, the United States and the West has struggled to make inroads with the AU. Uh, certainly, Mugabe is a longtime friend of the Chinese. Um, I, I'm not necessarily linking dots here because I don't think there are dots to be linked. But at the same time, it is interesting that maybe the AU is taking a little bit of a tilt further away from the West. Is that a fair interpretation of some of these events? I'm not sure it's taking a tilt too much further away. As in, I think it already was. Um, I mean, rather away, at least rhetorically, even though uh, a lot of the funding comes from comes from the uh, the EU, and a lot of um, I think a lot of the salaries of the different departments are um, paid by different uh, Western development uh, development agencies. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely this um, move towards um, uh, an idea that the Chinese dream that Xi Jinping pay out has has a lot of relevance to. Um, uh, to Africa much more so than what is being what is being pushed by the West. It was interesting in um, uh, in Mugabe's uh, opening address at the summit after becoming the uh, yeah the ceremonial head of the AU for for a year in the rotating chairmanship or chairpersonship. Um, he said that African resources should be owned by Africans. Um, and but then they said all friends, you know, which which is the sort of get out clause. It's you know or 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 specifically invited friends like China. He, he sort of he says he didn't actually say China, but that that's what that means. And he says you know we'll have friends, yes, but no imperialists and colonialists, which does fit quite a lot into that rhetoric of that uh, quite a remarkable Xinhua article I saw that was talking about the green eyes, you know, green eyed envy of the West about um about these big deals. But I mean, I think probably at this stage, I, I've yet to see any kind of real responses from any Western governments about this um, uh, AU-China MOU, as it, whether whether positive or negative. Yeah, I, I, I thought the same thing. I, I thought the Western response was quite muted, um, and uh, you know, I didn't, uh, and which, which makes the the propaganda seem a little a little hysterical. Um, I was, uh, you know, kind of in, in a related um, point. I was wondering, um, you know, in, in the Indian press, they've recently made the point that um, that the the expansion of, of rail systems and all of all of this infrastructure expansion that that China is doing, especially as it's centered on ports and, and stations and rail systems in East Africa, actually is an expansion. Uh, a de facto expansion of the maritime Silk Road, not only to Mombasa but actually deep into the continent. Um, do, do, is, is that is that an overreading and a connecting of dots? You know, um, or should we? Or does it actually make sense to see this AU-China deal as a further kind of expansion of of, of a bigger kind of project that includes the maritime Silk Road as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that probably is a large part of uh, of the thinking. Um, 
uh, and as you and, you know, as you say, there are already these uh, plans for you know, port expansions around the continent. It isn't just East Africa. There's a deep water port that's being built in uh, in Cameroon as well. And um, yeah, and, and I think this is probably uh, whether it's fully understood or not, pretty crucial to um, uh, to uh, the future of African uh, exports and manufacturing specifically is that for African uh, exports and light manufacturing to really take off, the, the shipping routes need to change somewhat. And if they can be integrated into this, um, you know, broader, plan, this broader Chinese plan, then that would, I mean, that would give them greater access or cheaper access to a lot of markets for its exports. You know, you know our final point here is that you know, while the, this deal may be more hot air than anything else, we, don't, we just don't know. Um, but at least the Chinese are talking about subjects that I think the vast majority of Africans, from elites to the to the guy on the street, are interested in, which is obviously improving the continent's infrastructure. And I just contrast that with the United States, that has seemingly you know a tunnel vision on talking about terrorism and security and Islamic extremism, which doesn't really affect uh, the the broad proportion uh, of the African population. So in one sense, there's a soft power win for the Chinese here, and they certainly are trying to take advantage of that with their own media. But at the same time, I do feel like this is something that will resonate, regardless of whether it's done. But it does show that China is actively trying to improve the, you know, at least their rhetoric is saying this. What actually happens on the ground is a different story. But, you know, so it's something that we'll keep uh, keep our eye on. Hopefully, James, when we get some details, we'd love to have you come back on the show to to share some of your insights about what actually is going to happen and if these committees actually, you know, generate something substantive. Yeah, I would love to, and I, I really hope that they do. Yeah, I do too. And so uh, James Schneider is the editorial director at the New African Magazine. Uh, you can find them at newafricanmagazine.com. And James, I'm assuming that people all over Africa and Europe can subscribe to the magazine as well. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I hope they do. Uh, we do too. And so go to newafricanmagazine.com. And it's part of a group of magazines. Uh, I think you've got New African Woman magazine. There's a finance magazine. There's a whole suite uh, of yeah, magazines. Yeah, there are eight of us. We've got eight magazines. So check out newafricanmagazine.com. Also, if people want to follow both what, what you're doing at New African Magazine, but as well as your own personal Twitter, is there people ways that they can follow you? What's the best way to stay yeah. in touch? Yeah, follow me um, on Twitter at Schneider Home, S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R-H-O-M-E. And if you flick back through what, um, my tweets over the last week, you'll find a lot of, um, a lot of me at the AU Summit. Oh, you know, fantastic. Saying what's going on and a little bit of analysis. Oh, that's fantastic. And Kobus, if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? You'll see me at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And also just today, we have launched our brand new weekly China Africa e-newsletter. So James, I hope we can put your email down and once yeah, a week absolutely. to get, a, get a, a digest of some of the stories. We're actually going to look at uh, New African Magazine for any China Africa stories as well and share that with our community. So you uh, can, Actually, our, our cover for March is China Africa. Well, so then we we're going to put a lot of that in. Our, fantastic. So we're going to put a lot of that in our uh, in our newsletter. We'll, we'd like to maybe have some of your staff join us back on the show to talk about some of the work that you're doing in that, in that uh, 
in that edition that's coming up later in March. Just go to our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com and you can sign up right there on the front page. Uh, again, every week we're going to be kind of putting out uh, different stories and links to our various and uh, our various partnerships we've got with uh, Stellenbosch University and the Center for Chinese Studies. There, we're hopefully going to reach out to some more think tanks and uh, and maybe even the magazines as well. It's another way to kind of extend the readership. So sign up for that newsletter, and then of course, if you want to follow this podcast, best way to do it: just go over to iTunes, search for China Africa Project, and you could subscribe right there. So we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>